listening to Minds at Yerk. My name is Alex. I'm Megan. Hello. And we're talking about the last three episodes of season one of the TV show. <laughs> yes, we are. The Reaction, The Stranger, and The Forgotten, which is probably not The Forgotten that you're thinking of. Right? What was... I meant to look this up. What was The Forgotten in the books? I don't... I, I feel like it's number 11. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna see how... If I am correct. Number 11. Cheetah cover. Jake goes to the, the Sierra Rip. Oh, is this the, like, time Sierra. travel one? Uh, the jungle travel one, I think. Yeah, they, like... Steal a steal a bug fighter and get shot out of space and like all travel back in time to the rainforest. It's not and they've got to get back before they make a rip in space time and they lose their monkey morphs. Something like that. I don't think it's in time. I think it's just in space. But I could be wrong. See, I'm I don't know. I thought that there was a time travel element to that one because they get monkey morphs that then they don't get to use anymore. I but maybe really I'm thinking like, of a different book. Man, I no, I mean, I think you're right, but also I don't think it's because it was in time. I think I don't know. Damn it, I don't want to look it up. I don't. Are we going to have to start over? Are we going to have to start the series over? No. Are we stuck no. in a time loop? I am so ready for a break from Animorphs. Okay, okay. Then I guess we should get into it. Wait, wait, wait. First, okay. First of all, I am correct on which book it is, so fuck yes. Awesome. Second of all, let's see if it is time and space or just space. I think it's literally like 12 hours. It's like not a lot of time travel. It's just enough time travel to be a pain in the ass. I see like it. Uh, they time travel just far enough that they have to go through the same thing again or some shit. Hang on. Oh, yeah, you're... Okay, either forwards or backwards. We don't know. Cool. But it's, like, less than a day or something like yes. that. It's not and a lot of time. It was also Visitor 3, which I do not think the dinosaur one had Visitor 3. Correct. Okay. Correct. Cool. Because I, I feel like... so far off topic, and it's going to get just worse. No, that's, I mean, it's on topic because they've used a title from a book to use a B-plot from Omegamorphs. That's That is what true. they've done. That is, that is very true. It's a very sneaky thing they've done. But we will get there in a moment. First, we've got to get through the reaction of the stranger. Yes. But first. Buckle I, up. Oh, I, but first. I have a question. Oh, okay. We're we're bucking the rules. Bring on your question. Yeah, no, no, no. This question has nothing to do with fucking uh, these these episodes that we watched today. Uh, my question, which I'm actually going to tweet at the same time because I'm so excited to see the answers. Okay. If the Elemist was your uncle, what nickname would you give him? Like, what cutesy nickname as a child? So, my gut reaction was to say Bob, because Bob's your uncle. No, that's a that's bad, Alex. I know, I know, I know. 
I didn't say it was good. <laughs> Red has said Mr. Elimus or what was the other one? It was Elimus or Mr. Ellie. Elimus or Mr. Ellie. Which raises another question. Is Missy Elliot the <laughs> Elimist? Is Missy Elliot the Elimist? Damn. I'm actually, I'm comfortable with that, I think. I think I am too. I think that actually, yeah. I think both of those answers cover all bases. Yeah. As for what I would call the uncle, or call the Elemist if he were my uncle, I was not a particularly uh, creative child when it came to naming people. I know this will come as a shock to you now, given my... <laughs> astounding abilities to name people and things this podcast notwithstanding i think i probably would have just called him uncle elimist uncle elimist that is so sad i was a sad child i feel like i also would have gone with uncle ellie as a kid but you know i don't know my family gets like i my nickname was mexico for years um, because that's how my sisters pronounced Megan Nicole. Um, okay. Which <laughs> is giving a lot of information about myself in this episode, I guess. I may have talked about this before. Really. <laughs> uh, my family was not big on nicknames, although my father would weaponize... Your family uh, was not... Grandparent nicknames? Hold on. Your family To irritate not... people. Big on nicknames. What What is the name on your birth certificate? Alexander. So Alex is not a nickname? I mean, definitionally, no. Alex is the diminutive form of Alexander. It's just a shortened version of the same name. In fact, they're so bad at nicknames that... Anytime they issue my tax returns at work, they put Alex instead of Alexander, and I have to get them to fix it before I can file them. Because, yeah. That's fair. I don't know. I was really hoping both one or both of you would have remembered more about the Elemis than I did, because, man, that book was a lot. And uh, if there was another name that I was missing... I mean, he definitely had other names, but I definitely don't remember them now. Would he go by Father Elemist instead? No, I think that that would be like a slap in the face for him. (laughs) Fair. But I'm looking up the Elemist's other names now. Okay. That brings me to WebMD results for Elenist, the Encyclopedia Britannica's entry for the Hellenistic Age... Um, definition and synonym of something in Cyrillic in the Russian dictionary. Okay. Um, I don't know why Google doesn't want to acknowledge the Elemist today. Let's see, other names, Tumen. Mr. Elemist, Puppet Master, 
all-powerful weakling and mighty manipulator. I feel like those last three things are definitely just things Marco calls him. That's fair. Um, I mean, Tumon, there's maybe something you could do with that. I go to Tumi, which is uh, in Dan Slot's run of Silver Surfer, what Don Greenwood calls the Silver Surfer's surfboard. Because he always says, to me, my board. And she jokingly starts calling it to me. Does the Silver Surfer only travel through space or through both time and space? By his own power, he only travels through space. There are certainly stories that involve his traveling through time through other means, but usually they're like accidental, like he gets sucked into a black hole. Okay. Yeah. Those damn black holes. Yeah. You know, it happens. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. Okay. So, now you can talk about these episodes that we've watched. While oh, I go right. Back to yes. Daydreaming about time traveling bars instead. That's cool. You should have like a solid five to seven minutes by the time I get through all of these. So get comfortable. Oh dear. Okay. The reaction. Cassie, Rachel, and Substitute Marco, a.k.a. Ethan, are on a field trip to a zoo with very lax safety measures. A kid decides to LARP Jurassic Park in the crocodile fence. <laughs> Cassie sends Ethan for help and hopes and hops in to get the kid out while Rachel questions what she's doing because clearly the two have body swapped before the episode started. Rachel follows, and the trio are surrounded by tiny crocodiles. Honestly, I think they're caimans. Opening theme! Cassie acquires the caiman to let Rachel and the kid escape and books it. Ethan returns with amnesia. Victor Trent channel surfs and questions why humans like moving pictures. Tom explains who Jeremy, Jason, Jordan, James, John, Jacob, McColl is, what stardom is, and the sharing's plan to use McColl to drive up membership by appearing on a daytime talk show, Larry and Linda, live. Meanwhile, at the barn, Cassie is itchy and has a stomachache. The phone rings! Larry and Linda want Cassie and Rachel to come on the show, which is inexplicably popular with teenagers, to talk about their zoo antics. As Cassie is scooping up some llama food, her arm gets all scaly. Dun dun dun! Later, at the cyber cafe, Jake scolds Cassie and Rachel for recklessly saving a dumb child. Jake doesn't know what snakes are. Rachel pulls up the very AOL-era website for Larry and Linda Live and sees that Jason John McColl is going to be in the same episode. Marco offers Jake a nacho. Cassie tries to play it cool by sipping some water and her arm gets scaly again. Jake shows up and asks his cousin whether she whether he thinks he sorry whether Stop she it. thinks he or McCall is cuter. Stop it. Jake channels some things women like are bad misogyny into realizing McCall is promoting the sharing. Cassie and Rachel decide that they need to save Jason and that they should ask Axe about Cassie's lizard arm. Cassie goes to a library to look up crocodiles instead and bumps into Tom. While she involuntarily morphs, Tom interrogates her about her relationship with Jake. Cassie has no chill, but fortunately for her, Tom's yerk is pretty dumb. Later, <laughs> at the barn, Jake has procured a small marker board and a ground plan of the Larry and Linda Live studio and reviews his plan of attack. 
Cassie arrives and asks to talk to Axe and definitely isn't acting suspicious. Not that it matters because she goes full lizard. Axe calms her down and explains morphing allergies and that at some point in the next fortnight, Cassie will burp up a whole ass crocodile. Also that emotions make allergies worse. The team debates whether or not Rachel and Cassie should still do the talk show. Later, Cassie can't sleep and calls Rachel, who assumes Cassie has ejected her crocodile. Cassie does not correct her. The next day, at the studio, the team rendezvous. Rachel and Cassie report to makeup where they meet Jason John McCool, who is a jerk. Cassie's lizard arm returns, and Rachel is not pleased. Marco is a llama. Jake and Axe are roaches. Just before rehearsal, Cassie's Gatorade breaks, so she and Rachel book it to the bathroom. Cassie burps up the croc, which gets loose. Jason faints, his yerk flees before the croc can eat him. Rachel and Cassie save McCall, and the croc eats the yerk. McCall moves to Tibet to follow the Dalai Lama, and the team regroups at the cyber cafe to talk about the very important lessons they learned. Okay, okay, okay. I feel like we need to save the next two. I just talk about episode by episode. Okay, I'm okay. cool with that. Okay, because there was a lot that was stated that I don't want to forget. <laughs> That's fair. Can we open with the obvious, though? Like, they gave Cassie a Rachel plot. And there are ways that that works, and there are ways that that doesn't work. Mostly, they don't work. They don't work, but I, I think I understand why they did it. Well, we get two Rachel episodes right after this, and I think that's a big part of why. That and um, I don't think a lot of Cassie's episodes do well um, because it would be just kind of her. True. They're very introspective, and she always ends up alone. And especially in the early ones, like, we still need those team moments. So I think I feel like more of her storylines would come to play later in a TV series. That's fair. I guess the reason I bump into it is one, this is such a quintessentially Rachel story in my mind. Oh, agree. But two, it shows Rachel getting to be really decisive, and then we get an episode where Rachel is super indecisive, and then one where Rachel has amnesia and wanders through the woods. So, like, yeah, it's not that I dislike it from the Cassie Stan standpoint, it's that I actually think they've kind of done Rachel dirty. That's fair. That's fair, I understand that. Yeah. But what are your talking points from from my <laughs> weeks old summary of this episode? Well, I just uh, really like I you know, Brad and I were talking about similar stuff. Like uh it is very like Cassie making Rachel moves. It's not even like they took the episode and made it Cassie-esque. It is Cassie doing Rachel things. Yeah. And it makes a scene in a later episode, much weirder. Which scene is that? Um, I will say when we get there. Cool. Um, but yeah, outside of that, let's see. So they save a kid. Um, it I guess kind of slow news day. I don't know. I feel like the zoo would be in litigations already with them about 
you know, the liability risk they put up and like trying I mean, to keep this, from getting sued. This has the vibe and like structural safety measures of a petting zoo, but then has yeah. quote unquote crocodiles in it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The crocodiles. Which are definitely caimans. Those are definitely caimans. I am not making a joke. Those are too small to be crocs or gators. Fair. No, that's fair. Um, and I'll let them slide because it is so clear watching this as an adult and probably specifically after talking to Alan, like how much effort they put to keep oh, yeah. everybody away from these creatures. They like yeah, I am not Cassie th- I am not knocking them for it. For no, no, sure. no, 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 not at all. But like Cassie throws herself into this uh stall in the most dramatic way and it's so that when the gator pops out, they don't have to be in there with her. They have a reason to not be in there. Uh it looks ridiculous, but I get where they're coming from. Well, and caimans are, like, easier to control. One, again, smaller. Uh, But also, like, at some point, like, during a Boy Scout event or something, we got to do this spend the night in the Atlanta Zoo thing. Okay. And part of that was they brought a variety of animals to the sort of multi-purpose gathering room where, like, we hung out and slept in sleeping bags. And one of the animals they actually brought in was not quite fully grown, but a caiman. And they brought it in specifically because this is gator-like, but it will not maul anybody in the room. We can control this animal much more easily. Right. Like, gators are fucking terrified. Yeah. Quick side note. I keep trying to keep my um, yarn from getting tangled with my headphones, but I'm on Bluetooth right now, and it is cracking (laughs) me up. It is a weird feeling. Incredible. What else? Let's see. Um, Oh, okay. Uh, Did not like how you phrased that Jake was flirting with Cassie. I said Rachel, but Continue. I, I know. I know. That's what I don't like. Um, oh. I mean, but he directed it to Rachel and Rachel did respond. That's not my fault. I did not read it that way, but okay. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, there was something very weird about that scene. I will give you that. It did a lot of just restating everything we'd seen in the episode we'd seen in the episode so far. Yeah, it was like a we've come back from commercial break. Here's a summary for of those of, are. For those of you who missed the first five minutes, yes. here they are again in a different <laughs> setting. But also We're, Hey, there's gonna be a quote unquote hot guy on this show with you. And all of us are like, ooh, ooh, hot guy hot guy that we even at that age knew was a stand-in for jonathan taylor thomas like that wasn't a later revelation for me i knew that at the time 
Oh, and, yeah. I knew that at the time. Yeah. Like, and I'm clueless, especially at that age, was clueless about stuff like this. Yeah, so, Frankly, like, I'm shocked they didn't get an actor who looked more like him. That's what I was getting to. So, like, the the result that they gave us is such a bummer in a lot of ways. Yeah, he looks like he should have been, I don't know, an extra in Wolf of Wall Street or something. Yeah. Like, he looked like a baby day trader. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, but also, like, oh, yeah, he... Okay, they said he went to go follow the Dalai Lama. Yes. Which is the most bullshit way of saying that the Sherry'd had him fucking killed, right? I like to believe that he got away and he is actually hanging out in Tibet. I I cannot believe that that's actually what happened. With, as I think of him still, Professor His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Because he was technically faculty at my college. <laughs> um, I will only concede... Because Visor 3 has a terrible PR staff. Also, Visor 3, like, he's not the most competent on the show, and no one under him in the org chart is even close to competent. No. Like, not even the so. end of the second episode we're going to talk about literally ends with him standing hands on hips, looking like a disappointed dad. Oh my god, that, that, okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Uh, we talked about how closely guarded the quote-unquote gator was. Um, I like, I like just how kind of patently absurd it is that Cassie calls, Rachel immediately assumes that she has gotten rid of the gator. Right. And Cassie's just like, yeah, that's why I called. Like, like, Cassie, that is so not a Cassie move or a Rachel move. Not yeah. even if you flip it and go the other direction is just assuming a Cassie move. I can almost say that I could see Rachel being blinded about being excited about this mission to just pretend like it is possible that it happened. But at that point, I feel like the beat is Rachel gives the nudge and the wink, not is pissed off the next day. Fair. Or like, like God it's, damn it, I knew I should have said blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's just such a weird... It is, yeah. I guess it comes back to, it's just such a weird arc for Rachel through the episode. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't feel like Marco, Jake, or Axe actually did anything at the movie studio, and I kind of love that they were just there and had no point in being there except wandering around as a llama and two roaches. <laughs> I feel like um, the llama must have been in that opening scene somewhere or was like just so expensive that they were like nope we got to use him in more than one scene i mean that's fair i'm sure that it was a function of like what animals are readily available because they also had the other the third segment on their episode was going to be an animal trainer so like it was probably hey what animals are available that you can bring over this day and he's like i got a llama nobody uses the llama much here in canada yeah, that's fair. Like, it's kind of hard to make anything look like where a llama would be in Canada. Yeah. Canada, 
does not stand in for the Andes Mountains. No, not well. Not well. Um. But yeah, just overall weird episode. Uh, I did actually really like some of the CGI for the time. Um, yeah. And I feel like the the gator morphing, especially the the. Or was it the gator eating... There was something in silhouette at the end of the episode that yeah. I remember thinking was done really well. I just, like, um... It's very clear that a lot of, like, a lot of their CGI budget went to this. Yeah. It's like, that's a lot of changing over to the gator because they clearly didn't want to use the gator too much. Yeah. I mean, they used a good chunk of CGI in The Stranger, too, both in the future yeah. and, like, there was a whole last CGI and delight in the woods at one point. Yeah, fair. So, like, yeah, maybe okay. these two episodes ate that budget. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, let's go on to the next episode, because, oh boy, oh boy, All right. do I have some questions. But the yes. Stranger. Rachel decides on a trendy hiking wardrobe. Note, contemporary Rachel would definitely have a blast with some athleisure. Then Victor Trent shows up and some controllers uh, uh, with some controllers at Rachel's door and grabs her dad, whose name is Dan, according to the credits, to yerk him. It's yeah, a nightmare, and I had forgotten. Okay. And her sister Sarah is by her side to make sure she's okay. Cue opening credits. Rachel does some flips in her living room as she narrates about how gymnastics, unlike life, is something she has control over. Then her dad shows up at the door with news. Carla Velnikoff, a trainer to gold medalist gymnasts a thousand miles away, wants to take her on. And by the way, her dad is moving to the same city for a new job. But her mother and Sarah can't come along and Rachel needs time to process. She starts a pro and con list. Pro, no more Yerks or Marco. <laughs> Meanwhile, at his secret lab, a scientist controller points out that the space zune that Victor Trent stole from the race of telepathic aliens will probably respond to him if he morphs back into an Andalite. Turns out it was a prank and it shocks Visser 3. They must find the chosen one. He assumes it's the only other Andalite they know. Elsewhere, the Animorphs walk through the woods to meet Axe and Tobias while Rachel fills the other in on her dad. The others in on her dad's offer. Rachel debates the futility of fighting. Marco gets worried that that's his job. A bunch of human controllers and Hork Bajir, who are rodeo fans, lasso Axe, who sends Tobias to get the team. They step on a tripwire, get caught in a net, and Victor Trent gloats in victory. The end. Just kidding. The Yerks are frozen. Tobias, in his too cool for school human form, shows up, and a Jedi appears. It's the Elemist. <laughs> who's definitely making up some Illumist bullshit about being one of many. <laughs> and about how the human race is doomed, but he can save a few of them, specifically the Animorphs, and their families. Rachel argues for not fighting and for saving their families. Marco and Cassie agree. Jake argues, so the, Illumite, the Illumist takes them to the future where the Yerks have won. Victor Trent, who has gotten a promotion, and I'm guessing has renamed himself Victor Fun to keep the... <laughs> A uh, uh, little bit of coded <laughs> nicknaming going welcomes the Animorphs and introduces them to Rachel's evil Fox News anchor future self. <laughs> Barbecue sauce. 
Rachel grabs a knife off future Rachel to stab future Rachel, but the Elemist poofs them back to the present. Jake changes his vote, and so does Rachel. She insists they can't give up. They go back to the net, but Rachel still has the time knife. Tobias single-handedly, single-talently, fights off the Yerks while the others escape, split up, and search for Axe. Axe is in the back of a truck, so Marco steals it! The Yerks apparently left it in neutral... Marco rolls backwards into a tree, which jostles Axe awake. The Animorphs escape while Rachel morphs Lion to scare away the controllers. Victor Trent does his best disapproving dad look. Okay. That night, Rachel's back at home reading Dracula, which is not scary compared to her life. Her dad shows up and she tells him she's staying, to which he responds, If anyone could save the world, it'd be you. Gosh darn, dad. Also, Marco and Tobias were spying, but that's a less interesting ending to his summary. No, 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 no. I got thoughts on that. Okay. So, let's start with Walking my bird. Let's start with those thoughts. Okay. Um, I actually really like the scene of Marco and and Tobias eavesdropping. Um, I I did, too. I thought it was a little weird that Marco was there, but I liked it. It it definitely feels like they're going for... uh, a. A different vibe with Marco than, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe is probably more sincere to how the actor is. But I also could see this being so much fuel for why we have so many Marco Rachel shippers because they do look oh. really good and cozy at the end of the scene. And I actually remember having the song on playlists. So I gotta find it. Like I was singing along, being like, oh, these are words I have retained. Um, but also like in all honesty i could also really see the thruple working between the three of them i was about to ask if the thruple was an option after this scene yeah like it really i was like all right you know what thanks nickelodeon i appreciate you (laughs) yeah i mean nickelodeon ahead of their time Always, always ahead of their time. I would like to shout out the face that Victor 3 makes when he talks about eating Tobias. It is a look of such pure joy that I did not think that this, this character was even capable of. Full disclosure, I had to... Watch this episode twice because we ended up rescheduling um, the first time we were going to record it. And I couldn't remember for the life of me what these episodes were about until I watched them again. Um, that being said, man, watching that scene twice made me just so sad and angry. <sighs> it mostly just made me laugh. This is one of my favorite books. Like... I would love uh, one of those side covers of this book. It is number seven. It is the green Rachel to bear. Um, and this interpretation makes me so sad in so <laughs> many ways. That's fair. <sighs> like, I get that your pull is probably expensive it is probably a very small set to make it look like it is very cavernous. Uh, but also, 
they were fucking a kid morph. And the Yerks were looking at them. And we're not questioning, like, what the <laughs> fuck? But, like, I do remember in the book had him morphing out in the middle of a fucking McDonald's. So, like, or, like, the uh, Yerk indoor McDonald's. So I get it. <sighs> Just... Yeah. And then, uh, also, the fact that they get that the fucking Candrona Ray is up there and do nothing about it <laughs> literally nothing no oh yeah that's a giant one like they have down in the yerk pole yeah yeah guys do you not think do, do you not think it's there like the whole point of the book of him showing them this future where they like are most certainly going to lose is one to fuel them to fight harder and two to give them that slight secret so they can destroy it and thus cripple the yurks for books to come like that's kind of the starting thing that eventually leads to that oatmeal crisis that's true which we've already had in the show right so it's like I, and, and maybe this came before that, but I, I highly doubt it because I don't think that the people working on these scripts understood the nuance as much. Like, I have heard, like, the podcast talk about these books having only, like, read one or not knowing someone who has an emotional attachment to them and how ridiculous, apparently, the first one feels to adults who haven't read it. And like, I know we had one of the, you know, that uh, episode. I don't actually remember. Cause that's like four years ago at this point, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It just makes me sad that they missed all of those little nuances that we could have had. Yeah. And it's, I mean, this is something we've talked about here, but we've also talked about off the podcast too. Like, the the complexity of narratives and just like themes and emotional depth of shows that were marketed for children in the 80s and 90s versus what you start getting into the aughts and 2010s and now like it's it's an entirely different kind of thing we don't if this were made now i have no doubt that all of those elements would be there oh yeah but i mean at the time like Real talk, at the time, a lot of this programming, whether it was the intention of the people making it or not, was greenlit at the corporate level because action figures and toys sell. True, and I get that. Um, And I do feel like it's kind of a bummer that, you know, they're really trying to push an Animorphs movie, which, when I do feel a whole four-season, 12-episode vibe, eight. 10 to 12, eh, I don't know. It depends on how much we consider uh, filler. But there is pretty much only four arcs in this this entire series. It's just that the third arc is kind of drawn out over a bunch of ghost-written books. Yeah. So Six seasons in a movie. <laughs> That's well, always the answer. It, it, mostly my, my thought process is, like, those kids are going to age. Um. And 
you know, Stranger Things is really kind of pushing it with like keeping them young. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe they will be, they'll likely be slightly older or something um, because it's been so long between season three and four. But like that, those age gaps really start to show. Yeah. You know, very quickly. So that's why in my mind, four seasons just always seems to make sense. That's fair. I mean, that said, though, like, we know in the books it's kind of scaled to three, three and a half years, but you could honestly stretch that a little to make TV work, too. Yeah. Like, that's that's forgiving. Yeah, like, I... It doesn't have to be constant battle. Like, I think there is some, like, very interpersonal stuff that they could get into... You know, to really extend out the story. Yeah, and like, we've talked about things as we've gone too, that there's a lot of room to explore. And like, Melissa and her whole thing with her family. Um, You could definitely flesh out... I feel like you could de- definitely flesh out all of them a little bit. Because oh, we don't... They wouldn't have been the only friends each other had before before the series started so like where is where is everybody else and how are they having to like duck out on those people or spend time with those people no i agree Um, and what's really kind of bumming me out and what kind of has me fingers crossed i guess long-term optimistic um the babysitters club tv show on netflix is i don't know if you've watched any of it um I have not. I've heard good things. Not just from you, but also from you. So Um, it is very, very true to both keeping the books timeless in a way, but also updating it to a a much, a less white, suburban, Connecticut, you know, liberalism. You know. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, um... Like, for instance, um, there's a character that moved to town that is from California and in the book series is a you know blonde surfer type and in the TV show is Latinx and, like, um, a very different cultural vibe. And it's really cool to watch. But it's also very true to the TV show. It's just so good to watch. And... Um, they like still really deal with things like anxiety and um, one of the character has diabetes. Anyways, they're also owned by Scholastic. And I feel like Animorphs is always like a couple of years behind the Babysitter's Club and whatever they get. So with the Babysitter's Club having a fairly successful two seasons, I'm kind of crossing my fingers that maybe this movie deal falls through and Netflix will pick it up. I mean, that feels very probable in like the time we're living in. I feel like, I feel like one, just between COVID and production delays and all of that, I feel like we're going to see a lot of this kind of project end up canceled. And I, We've talked about this before. I feel like whether it's live action or I'd be cool with a cartoon even, I feel like a TV format does make more sense. I would be... So I'm with you. I would be good with animated if it was 
and, and honestly, we're at this point anyways that it's kind of a duh, as long as it's on a streaming service. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we've probably discussed this ad nauseum in this podcast, but like um, the people who just did Inside Job and Gravity Falls, <laughs> like, that's it. The end. Yeah. Like, let them have that weird. Yeah, I'd be here for it. Yeah. That's just, like, my long-winded way of saying, like, even as a kid, I was so disappointed with this episode. Like, my copy of this book is falling apart. Um, I am glad that they kept the discussion of Rachel potentially leaving, but it is so surface. And also, R.I.P. Jordan? Right? Like, like, as soon as her dad was like, your sister, it's like, yeah. she only has one? Yeah. It's like, okay, well, budget, okay. Yeah, I mean, I assumed the same thing, but yeah. it's a bummer. Yeah. That's another thing. Like, a show could do so much more with Jordan and Sarah. Exactly, yeah. With, like, um, updating it, you know. Red was uh, kind of watching as I was watching these and was like, man, Rachel could actually really consider it with the, you know, use of cell phones and stuff, like figuring out a way of getting back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It'd be perfectly fine as a 1990s period piece where video cameras hadn't been ex- invented yet. But, <laughs> um, uh, but also it'd be fun to update it too. Yeah. Oh, God. I feel like this was definitely one of the first conversations we ever had. Because, like, I remember just thinking about casting this for ages. So, full circle. That sounds very possible. Yeah. Full circle. But it makes sense. I have a... Oh, sorry. Sorry, I just said it makes sense. That's all. You have a what? I have a piece of trivia for you. Oh, gosh. Okay. The actor who plays the Elemist, <sighs> Peter Messaline or Messaline. Okay. And I do not know. I do not know if this is an important character or not. They may be some schlub in a pub who you talk to once who has one line of dialogue. I don't know. Okay. But Peter Messaline voiced a character in Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Okay. David Brewster. It is not ringing a bell, but let me double check. He was also on an episode of Warehouse 13, which I don't think it's an episode I ever got to, although I love that show. Um, he did some goosebumps to The Hardy Boys, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Ooh, the Robocop the, TV show. I'm sorry? Which Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, His character's name was Keeper. I don't know which episode that is. I don't either. I'm looking at this on my phone, which does not... The IMDB interface for the phone is not great. Uh, He was also... His very first professional credit from 1972, appropriately wibbly-wobbly and timey-wimey, he voiced Daleks in the original Doctor Who series. How cool. He was Voices of Daleks in four different episodes. That's really cool. Um, so looking at the picture, 
So I think David, Sir David Brewster, was okay. So he was a real scientist. He was a Scottish scientist. Uh, recognized in his field for optics. He is the inventor of the kaleidoscope. Very cool. Feels very on brand for the Elemist, actually. Yeah. Uh, the third of six children. Uh, he was to join the clergy, but he was far more interested in science and became fascinated with optics. Uh, okay, so I do vaguely remember this character, um, like, having to bring him stuff. Uh, and then he died, um, and was friends with Evie, it looks like. So, um, Evie is the reason I love Syndicate. So I, I do think I remember who he is in the game. And now I will be playing Assassin's Creed Syndicate <laughs> um, once November is over. Wake you up when November ends. Got it. Yes. Also, no. <laughs> I just like that. I don't know. I don't like referencing that song. Oh, it's, Fair enough. Do, I don't do you know have any attachment about? to it. Do no. You, oh. I just know the reference. It's uh, about his dad's death. Like him dealing with oh. his dad's death. Uh, and most people don't know what it's about. And so like once you find out about it, you're just like, oh, I just, the references are so bad. Like That's the fact fair. that this poor man probably gets a lot of uh, pokes on social media at the like on October first, I just ugh. yeah yeah sorry. I have I am familiar with the song through basically memes that are wake me up before you dot 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 or wake me up dot 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 one before you go go two inside three when September ends all of like them a great multiple songs. choice thing. Yep. Yeah. All great songs. So sorry, sorry. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, you're good. That's fair. So, um, yeah, I... Like, the whole point of this question in the books, like, because at one point they're like, hey, we've changed our mind. Hey, we changed our mind. And the Elemist is like, nope, I'm fucking ignoring you. There was a reason <laughs> I showed you this. It was not for you to decide to run away and so this episode is so hollow yeah it also lacks the production value of seeing seeing a stage musical of the lion king <sighs> you are correct <laughs> i always forget that that is how this stupid thing starts i Look, I don't think it's realistic to expect that of it. Don't get me wrong. I just love acknowledging that that is how it starts because I know that that is a thing that you forget and it brings me joy every time you... Every time you have that moment of, Alex, why are you... Oh, no, that's right. This is not Alex bullshitting. <laughs> no, it's not that, that I think you're bullshitting. I'm trying to be like, okay, how does the aesthetic compare to the high school? Wait a second. Like, that's what my brain is. It's not... It's, it's, I always process the question or the statement wrong. That's all. <laughs> gotcha. Ugh. Although, again, if we do get, like, 
uh, of a new series. I definitely need a shot of like it looks like Lion King puppets are fighting the Yerks. Oh God, I need yes. that somehow to happen. Yes. Like I, <laughs> Wait, I really want to be we... like Hey guys, like Alex and I will come on and like kind of be able to talk to you about the importance of some of this stuff in ways that you'll understand. Yeah. Like and I'm I'm happy to like help with the with the Animorphs musical too. Like we oh, we've Jesus. already started the work on that. We've oh, got Jesus. ideas. We have plans. That. I forgot about that. <laughs> Speaking of things forgotten. Okay. Oh. Are we ready to move on to the next episode? Yeah, I know that was a great segue. The Forgotten. Rachel goes to visit Tobias before heading to gymnastics camp, but for some reason, while she's morphed into a bird, she crashes and loses consciousness. Cue the opening theme! Rachel is, mostly, human again, but she's lost her memory, which makes her one bird arm very confusing for her. She morphs back anyway. Tobias, concerned that Rachel missed their 10 o'clock meetup, flies around looking for her and finds her bag. Uh, Jake is pitching to Cassie, and Marco makes fun of them. Cassie hits the ball right at Marco as Tobias flies up to say that Rachel is missing. Rachel fords a creek. No oxen are harmed. Then she trips on a small piece of wood. These episodes aren't exactly the best version of Rachel. No! She finds a creepy cabin. She goes inside the creepy cabin. She eats some snacks and finds a pickled yerk. Cue a flashback to falling in the yerk pool and more snooping. An old lady named Franny locks her in the closet and accuses her of being a yerk. Jake, who is trying to sniff out Rachel's trail, threatens to pee on Marco's leg. Tobias and Cassie confess that Rachel has a secret bird morph for visiting Tobias. Rachel starts to remember words that humans shouldn't know. This does not help convince Franny that she isn't a controller. Rachel pulls a map off the wall of the room she's locked in, breaks through a wall, and starts to run away. Jake and the others catch Franny or catch Rachel's scent. Franny is convinced that they're also controllers. She asks if they sent Rachel. Jake picks up Rachel's scent again. As Rachel stumbles through the woods and is ob- she's observed by a mysterious figure, and the others find Franny's shack. Rachel makes it back to the creek, and a suspiciously innocuous-looking guy named Brad offers her directions to the sharing. Then realize she's suspicious and brings her back to his campsite for someone to look at her head. Franny finds the map that Rachel dropped, and Tobias finds Rachel, but she doesn't remember him or know why she's hearing voices. Marco suggests that Rachel has already been yerked and that it's a trap. The others decide they need to find regardless, either she needs help or they need to keep her from talking. Which she does. She says yerk, and the guy looking at her head side-eyes the guy who found her. The Sharing Bros scheme to yerk her that night before Visser 3 can find out that she knows too much. Hours later, the team is still hanging out behind a tree because neither side of this battle has any sense of urgency. Dr. Yerk prepares to infest Rachel, who sees the yerk and freaks out, right as Marco the wolf wanders in and tells her to run. The others find Rachel and everyone holds her captive at the barn until she regains her memory. Apparently keeping each other prisoner in Cassie's barn does not raise any suspicion with Cassie's parents. They goad her into morphing, which makes her memory start to return. A few days later they have. She does cartwheels and Franny watches ominously from the woods. Good God. Okay. 
so yes, I think every time I look at this, I'm always like, I always assume they're going to do the anti-morphine thing. And then I'm shocked when they don't. And then it's like, of course you have like bro yarks camping because like, why not? But my biggest yeah, it's... like <laughs> issue is, is why Jake doesn't walk in. Jake and Cassie maybe to be like, hey, uh, yeah, that's my cousin. We were, we were camp, you know, camping together, like hiking together, whatever. Like, why are they doing all this camping out and shit? I don't know. Like, I mean, okay, it's the least interesting plot from maybe one of the least eventful Megamorphs books. Yes. It it's literally just a, well, we kind of need Rachel to be somewhere else so the others don't just rush in. Right. It's also And they've like, turned it into a whole episode. Yeah, and it's also like... I mean, you're right. It's not a great look for Rachel. They have basically turned Rachel into exactly what the writers didn't want Rachel to be. Which is weird. Forgot to mention the knife in the last episode. Very weird when they swapped the roles of Cassie and Rachel the episode before. Sorry, got very swept up in my whole Netflix talk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, especially like Rachel having a knife and literally like going to stab someone to this episode. Not just someone, her future self. Rachel is going to stab herself. Yeah. It's a lot. Because that is the kind of action Rachel takes. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it's... They cannot decide... Again, it is people that didn't know what they're working with, trying to make it work without realizing well, it. And it's it's formulas, right? It's like trying to balance the number of episodes everyone gets and give everyone a hand on the ball. And I think that's a good thing. Like That's what the book series tries to do. Sure. But the show reinvents that wheel so much in such, like, weird ways sometimes if this were if this were you know we want to do these two rachel books back to back and make a point with that that would be one thing but this episode is literally just a b plot that is yeah doesn't need to be its own standalone thing <laughs> yeah no, like it's no. kind of wild to me that they made this an episode yeah. I mean, maybe it's just because unlike some members of the cast, she doesn't have a twin, but why so, not do why not even do like the starfish thing? That doesn't really need to be anywhere specific in the timeline. Yeah, that's the thing is like at what point do we commit to episodic? Cuz like this book ties to larger repercussions it is a lot that you know happens in the second half of this or you know the start of the second arc mm -hmm. uh, it you know leads to yurks dealing with things they've never had to deal with before can we just entitle this episode with hey netflix please call us we'll help you pitch the show <laughs> or like hey scholastic We'll help you pitch this show to Netflix. Like, 
I, I don't For know. Real. I don't know what has like clicked in me in the last few days that I'm just like, why is this so hard to pitch to someone? It cannot be budget at this point. I have ne- I've I've said this I feel like since we started doing this podcast. I do not understand why the moment that post-apocalyptic YA fiction in which children basically become military became box office gold, nobody started greenlighting Animorphs projects. I have because, never actually, understood. It's because that is a roughly the time when they tried to re-release them and they did not do well. Because nobody knows how to market these correctly. Because if you market it correctly, then you run into parents being like, they're about what? And it's like, you fucking read that when you were a kid. Don't give me that. Well, and that's that's fair. But like, the cat's out of the bag on that now. You are right that it was not necessarily, even among those of us who had read them and like time had elapsed, in the front of our minds that oh yeah these are books these are books about children fighting war and becoming progressively more traumatized and embracing the morally gray choices that they have to to survive and protect those around them because it works well as a tv show and no cable network had the budget for it and those ya movies that you're talking about were popular just before netflix really got into doing their own stuff i'm i'm agreeing with you i think i I think you're absolutely right but rhetorically like it has never made sense to me why we haven't had the resurgence and i get what you're saying about the books not succeeding in re-release but and i think the books it's a hundred while i love them yeah are a kind of storytelling from another time they are not a contemporary mode of storytelling they're too they're too episodic. They're not serialized but I think, at this point. I think... I mean, my honest answer is the fact that, that there's not someone in a position to pitch this stuff that has read Animorphs because I don't think it's actually that hard to pitch this show. But um, you're right. It's a little bit episodic, but I think that there is enough nuance in the parts that are nuanced that, and enough freedom to build from there that you could make it work very easily while keeping some oh, yeah. of the episodic episodes um but like chris has proven that you know some of the rep- rep- repetitive stuff can be dropped fairly easily and no one seems to care absolutely and my point is not that i don't think it works my point is the opposite i think you can adapt it and make it more contemporary than the source material oh, feels so easily you're right chris proves that and then Taking it to, I'm going to say film, I mean TV realistically, what we both want is TV, but making it it something that is live action and filmed also affords that opportunity. It does not work in movie form. You cannot tell the story in two two and a half hour chunks. I'm sorry, but you and I saw Eternals the other day and like, great movie, but also I got to tell you at one point I looked at my watch and was like, holy fuck we've been here two hours and we still got another 45 minutes oh i know like i agree completely like it is it is a, it needs to be a tv show or miniseries i am with yeah. you 100 percent. also great with a miniseries that's actually a good idea too. do three hour chunks of some sort i guess maybe i don't yeah. know i don't know i think it has to be a tv a limited run tv series yeah um 
Anyway, call us Netflix. Yeah, like, or whoever has to pitch this. Like, I don't, I truly don't understand either whoever pitched this to a network or one of the streaming services was terrible at it or, like, they genuinely just haven't had someone come in that has read it. Yeah, the, uh, the only other thing that really really stands out is maybe it is just so many kids leading a show that I know we have other shows that are kid-focused, but they're not necessarily action shows. Maybe maybe Stranger Things, I haven't watched it, has more action than I think it does. Yeah. It's, but um, certainly yeah. not... You're making a good Certainly point. not, like, to the extent Animorphs does. You're making a good point from the stand point of like um even stranger things still has winona Ryder and um david oh i'm talking blank it out david shit it'll come to me in a second um and then it also has teenagers and young adults to rely on a little bit um as where animorphs either like you really have to play up the family dynamics more and have a good supporting staff for that also hi Sean Ashmore is still an actor. Probably would make a great dad. Is currently working. <laughs> or no, did a season of The Boys. So, you know, is willing to work with streaming services. And also, Brooke Nevins still works in the industry. Probably would make a good mom somewhere. Anyways, my point being, like, this is not that hard. No, I agree. I agree. I think I'm frustrated. Sorry. So, I should admit, last night, I... Uh, recorded an episode of another pass um that won't come out until i think 2022 but i basically spent an hour and a half to two hours repitching a movie in the most easy way possible that it was like you didn't have to change much and it would have been a better movie than what you gave us and like that was the thing that made me mad was like watching it i was like there's a good movie in here it's not hard to find. And I feel like that's what it is with Animorphs right now, too, where it's like, God is getting uh, a show. And if I remember correctly, that's not kids. Like, the, I mean, most of that cast would be under the age of 16, if I remember correctly. So why is Animorphs so hard to pitch? Because we live in the darkest timeline. It must be. I want to be because in I, that multiverse. I, because I turned down too many film opportunities right after college because I have no interest in designing lights for film. And therefore never started a film career that would have ended with my adapting Animorphs. It's my fault. Uh, But the funny thing is, is like... um. So the dating apps I'm on, um, it is very clear, like, what kind of dude uses those apps. And Hinge is a lot of dudes that are in the film industry in some capacity, uh, which is really kind of cool because it's not necessarily, like, as actors and they're not, like, all pretending to be actors and stuff. Um, So I feel like I should, like, change my profile to be, like... You can have a date if you could help me figure out who I need to pitch to to get an Animorphs TV show. (laughs) 
That's that's like basically the summary of this episode. Our Netflix pitch, our streaming service pitch. I'm really not picky about which one. Uh, I'm just saying Netflix because I was watching iZombie on Netflix and thus the screensaver is Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. And like <laughs> the way is Megan's going to try to date people now. <laughs> like that's the perfect <laughs> man. You're Roy Kent who can also help me get Animorphs started. I mean, what is Brett Goldstein doing? Does he want to, after Ted Lasso, develop an Animorphs TV show? How old is he? I I don't know, but he's literally a Roy Kent who can help develop an Animorphs TV show. No, 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 but one, he's not someone I could date, and this is also, like, boo. Um, But if he is of the age where he could have read Animorphs, oh, he's 41, he's a little too old. To have read Animorphs as a child. He is not too old in any other capacity, for the record. Um, yes. That being said, I'm tweeting right now. At Brett Goldstein? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's literally going to be... Hang on. Let me get off a of judging button. And to be clear, this is all staying in the episode, oh, right? Oh, 100%. Okay. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Just made the comment that the perfect man would be Roy Kent, who could help me get four seasons of Animorphs on some. No, wait, how about this? Who could help me pitch Animorphs? As a TV show to whichever streaming service. So, dot, dot, dot. Is it just at Brett Goldstein? Oh, yeah, I'm following him. Why am I asking that? Uh, (laughs) All right. Do we do Cat Eyes GIF? Do we sign it? I feel like I feel X's? like you know better than I do. Oh, it's got to be a Keeley gift. You are right. So do I go with you've got this or you're amazing? I don't know how to answer this question. You've got this. You've got this. This is the sound of us finding a very specific social anxiety trigger for Alex live. I'm so sorry. This is not a trigger for me because in my mind, either one, like, so I tweet about enough random stuff that like baking impossible is something I've been tweeting about. I don't usually at people at all, but um, if people are in like, like, let me retry that. Um, I got a lot of people that worked on the show liking and retweeting and commenting on my stuff. Um, So, I don't know. I guess I've been kind of in the mood lately of like, as long as it's not any kind of, I'm only going to do it once. It's not something that I'm going to, like, please, also, anybody listening to this, like, it's a joke. Don't. (laughs) Please don't (laughs) harass. Oh, please don't harass Brett Goldstein. Um, Can you imagine, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, I... Can you imagine that 
Tuesday for him where he wakes up and suddenly his Twitter feed is nothing but talking about him pitching Animorphs and he has no explanation of why. <laughs> That's fair. Like, can you imagine waking up, <laughs> you are on a successful comedy series <sighs> and suddenly ev- and writing for a successful comedy series and someone, everyone's like, hey, Drama about child soldiers who turn into <laughs> animals waging intergalactic war? Okay, but let's figure out where would he fit in so perfectly in this that it would make sense. I mean, Rachel's dad? No, like, I want something where he'd consistently show up. Like, if not Chapman. Chapman? <sighs> the Elemist? Oh, fuck. Roy Kent is my Elemist. I want that as a bumper hey, sticker. Hey, 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 Meg. Hey, hey Alex. Things we know about the Elemist. He's here. He's there. <laughs> he's every fucking where. We are hitting such a niche subculture right now. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, fuck, but he would be so great anywhere in this. I think he'd be actually a really good Chapman. Oh, no, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay. He could also be Mr. King. Oh. Oh, I do like that. Like, just him and a bunch of puppies. Always. I do like that. Okay. Well, hi, Brett Goldstein, if you're listening to this, if this somehow got to you. Um, Big fan. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Have a nice day. (laughs) But also, if you're down for this, I'm really seriously just like, hey, let's get this to happen, please. I mean, no, I'm 100% like, look, does this cause social anxiety in me? Yes. If Brett Goldstein turns around and says, I am up for this. I love Animorphs. Let's do it. I'm here. I'm in. I'm doing it. You're here. You're there. You're every fucking where. I I would not presume to make that claim. But I'm in. You know what? He has a podcast, too. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. (laughs) Uh, I feel like we've gone a little off the rails even for us. We have, but I like it as the idea of, like, we have done a season of this show. We have sat through it. I honestly don't know if I will watch the second season of this even on my own Um, and like spending some time talking about how we could genuinely do this nowadays. Like, I don't know. Who do I convince? But um, yeah. Also, Ted Lasso is really fucking great. (laughs) Ted Lasso is fantastic. So, one thing we talked about last episode that I want to circle back to, if we're more or less done with these three episodes. Was there anything else in The Forgotten? Like, it's really, really shitty that they were like, oh, Tobias, are you sure it was her? Yes, of course he's fucking sure. He's a fucking bird. Also, the bird attacking all of those controllers, like, who had their arm just directly out for it to land on. So great. Uh-huh. So great. Um, but also, like, yeah, I... The stuff with, oh, I watching, I had forgotten all about Yurt camping stuff and like 
there is a vibe slash look of that scene that has haunted my nightmares for years. <laughs> Glad I have uncovered that source. That's useful. <laughs> that, useful. That saves a couple sessions of therapy. Oh, yes, yes, yes. My doc will be very happy. So here is my question for you. Okay. Now that we have watched these three episodes, which were filmed to be the last three episodes of the season, oh. does either of us have any doubt that they made the right choice to actually bump uh, the capture to be the season finale? No, no, I completely understand why. Yeah. I, like, do you want to kind of talk about what happens in season two? Have you looked at it at all? If not, I will just read it to you and get your reaction. I haven't. Honestly, like, I'm not sure that I watched season two as it aired. I feel like it's, I feel like the show's schedule got so erratic. (laughs) Or maybe was on at the same time as something else and... We had satellite at the time, and it was in the days of you had to have multiple satellite feeds into your house to watch more than one thing. Right. So if it was on at the same time as, like, no, I know what it was. It came on at the same time, I think, as Touched by an Angel. Uh, So I was forced to watch that instead. Okay. Because I feel like it was like Saturdays and Sunday nights. Like Saturdays originally and then eventually Sunday maybe in season two. And like I always would try to watch it and then I'm pretty sure the TV got turned to touch by an angel. And there was nothing I could do about it. Interesting. Um, So I'm not sure I've ever seen season two. I kind of, I actually do kind of want to watch it. Okay. Like I will probably watch it. But I mean, can we talk about some of the stuff that happens that we didn't see? Yeah, sure. Or do you want to go in spoil-free? I'm fine either way. I mean, I feel like I've read all the books, so... (laughs) Fair, fair. Okay, so what we did was watch the first 13 episodes, which, by the way, the Wikipedia page has, um, like, 20 episodes in season one and six in season two. It's very weird. Um, That is weird. I don't know if it is related to... Oh, okay. Interesting. So, looking at air dates, there was a break. I wonder if... Anyways, uh, there was a break between episode 13, which was November 20th, uh, which would have been the day after my sister's seventh birthday. What up, Caitlin? Um, And then didn't come back until February of 99. Nope, that's not true either. God, they really just put all of these out of fucking order. Uh, January 17th. And then that went until March 7th. And then it literally took a year off before releasing like six more episodes. Mm. So here is some stuff that happened. Uh, We're just going in, I guess, production order. Can you change the order? Nope, it does not look like it. Production code? Would that have... Yep, okay, production code. I think I can put it in that order. Which I think technically is the order we have watched these episodes so far in. Oh, then that's not the correct order? I don't know. Okay, let's just... Okay, overthinking this. So 
the next two episodes that were whatever um, are about Marco actually Jake finds out Visor 1 will be at EGS Tower where the Yurt Kadrona Ray is located. So they didn't go into space, but they actually did do the Marco's mom. Uh, I have no memory of Marco's mom. I wonder who played Marco's mom. Uh, I'm looking it up. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, so that was a two-parter. Uh, so it was. Uh, it looks like they gave Jake the storyline about destroying the Kendrona Ray in the tower. And Marco was dealing with his mom in like a combined episode, two-parter. I wonder if they had the elevator scene. I don't know, honestly. Uh, let's see. Then there is an episode called Tobias. Uh, which technically would have been the first season and first episode back in January. Uh, Axe creates a device that allows an individual to relive their most cherished memories, while Tobias and Axe use which Tobias and Axe use to relive their past days. Tobias relives his pre-animorphs life, remembering how he met Rachel, how he first acquired animal DNA, and how awkward Axe was at his first at first when he became human. Interesting. Okay, so it was like a so classic clip show. Yeah. Uh, Jake succumbs to the pressure of being the animorphs leader. The elemist appears and grants him the wish to be normal. However, in the alternate reality, everyone but Tobias is infested by the Yerks, and Tobias must carefully plot his next move to avoid the same fate. Uh, Shares similarities to Megamorphs before the time. Although the book came out after the episode. It also explains why I always remember Tobias wrong in that Megamorphs books. Mm. Because he gets infested in that book. Like, it's a really, really creepy scene. Yeah. Uh, The release... Too many controllers are dying. Oh, I'm sorry. Too many controllers, not enough drone arrays. Yurks are dying and uh, losing control of their host, including Tom, who Jake and Mark try to Marco try to rescue. Da, 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 da. Controllers regaining their freedom include Jake's science teacher, Mr. Perkins, who has begun a crusade to free other controllers based on the alien. That was an axe book. Yeah, that was that was the one where one of them like loses wait, hang on. Which is the one where one of them loses control morphing at a school dance? Is that that book? No, I feel like that's when someone's sick. That's right. Yeah, that's the morphing sickness. But isn't that when they meet Mr. Perkins in the book or maybe whoever? I feel like Mr. Perkins is the peace movement guy. Like how they first find out about it. Or how they find out, like, not how they first find out about it, because that's Cassie putting a yerk in her ear, but someone who comes up and is like, hey, I work with the per- with the yerk movement, blah, blah, blah. But there's definitely a book where, like, there's a teacher sees someone morphing and is like, it's cool, I'm a member of the yerk peace movement, and I need your help, like, a teacher at their yeah. school, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm fairly certain that is him, but I don't think it was that episode. Gotcha. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, then there is Face Off Part 1 and 2. Um, In which Jake reenacts a Nicolas Cage movie. Well, that's like, okay, are we are we, are we we doing the classic uh, body swap? The answer is no. I hope not, at least. At the basketball f- final, the Animorphs discover that all of their enemies will be in one place. <laughs> I'm sorry, that is just an image. All of these Hork-Bajir and Taxon in the Skull Gym. Um, this is Space Jam. We just invented <laughs> Space Jam. Giving them opportunity to deal a blow to the Yerks. However, a plan goes horribly wrong as Jake is trapped. The Animorphs must now split up to find the Andalite disc and free Jake. Because guess what? We didn't forget about everybody. The Andalite disc. <laughs> Even though it is definitely talked about in one of these episodes briefly. And we still haven't figured that out. That is 20 episodes. That is an entire first season. Oh, no, that was episode 19. So episode 20. <laughs> it's also based on The Change. Which book was that? Oh, that's the one. Uh... It's book 13. It is the one where Tobias gets his morphine powers back. Oh, right, right, right. So guess what the Animorph disc, Analyte disc does. does. It sends a distress signal. No. It has Elfanger's home movies on it. No, I'm fairly certain it gives Tobias back his power. Oh! Yeah. Really? I'm fairly certain it does. Which is weird, because, like, we got the Elemist. Yeah. That's uh, weird. I wonder if that's what was always planned, or if that was just like a, well, we're wrapping up soon and need to yeah, answer this. I really don't know. Um, separated and surrounded by enemies. Oh, that's right, because it was something about Andalite DNA being specific Andalite DNA, so it's probably going to be some bullshit way of him getting his uh, DNA back so that he can morph back And not even himself. the good kind of bullshit. Elemist bullshit. No, it's Andalite bullshit, which is so much worse. Uh, season one apparently ended with separated and surrounded by enemies. The Animorphs struggled to avoid being captured. Rachel manages to save Tobias by morphing into a Yerk. But Jake remains in Tom's clutches as everyone else becomes dangerously close to being infested based on the sickness. Why have we swapped Rachel and Cassie? I don't know. We had to deal with that cliffhanger for over a year. Or almost a year. Nope, something's weird. I guess the U.S. like didn't get a bunch of episodes for a while. That is strange. Uh, so that three-parter ended with... Everyone in a desperate situation. Marco manages to save the day when he destroys a number of special yurks. And creates a... Do you think they're shiny? 
Uh, do what? Do you think they're shiny Yerks? Definitely. Like, they're... They sparkle in the sunlight. Oh, 100%. Uh, creates a sufficient distraction for everyone else to escape. Jake almost gets caught after morphing into Tom to escape from Visitor 3. Based on the encounter, which was book three of Tobias. What? They really went just batshit. Do you think they were just working from spark notes at a certain point? I guess. Like, it's like someone accidentally knocked over a bunch of the scripts slash, like, summaries of books and didn't have them numbered. And they were like, oh, shit. All right. Let's make this work. Like, then we get Eric. So I guess we did eventually get the chi. I kind of do want to watch it because, like, there's some stuff in here I don't remember. But, like, maybe someday kind of thing. Not... Yeah. Uh, then we get to Axe lands a job at a new electric store where he is pressured to sell as many cell phones as possible. Okay, when, I feel like you could get a whole season out of that. Right? When Tom Like, buys, that's the spinoff. That's the spinoff is just Axe in a, in a Radio Shack. <laughs> yes, he would love Radio Shack. Um, when Tom buys a cell phone for himself and his latest crush, Melissa Chapman, good pullback guys, uh, Jake, and also three years age different at that point is a little weird. Jake and Marco become suspicious and investigate. However, they are horrified to discover what Axe is really selling. What do we think Axe is really selling? Black market Twizzlers. Black market Catrona rays? I went with candy, but that works too. You really. Yerks love candy? Alright, okay. Axe loves candy. Axe does love candy, but they are cell phones. Do they tell him? You never know with Axe. Axe is unpredictable, Axe is wacky. Yeah, but I feel like he does understand electronics are not edible. Maybe he thinks they could be improved by being edible. You know what? Baking Impossible has taught me that yes. Yes, that is true. (laughs) Can you imagine Axe on an episode of Baking Impossible? No, no, that is just a horror show waiting to happen. Okay, I know we've already talked about pitching an Animorph series, but here's a wholly different direction. The entire series is framed as Axe competing on episodes of different game shows and reality shows. And we see just him, like, sabotaging the Yerks in the background while he's, like, doing the amazing (laughs) race. And then a contestant on Love Island. And then, uh, what's the one that's been super popular the last couple of years where everybody is pretending to be an online persona and only communicating during... Oh, uh... The Circle? Is it called The Circle? I feel like that's a terrible book about how bad social media gets, but sure, we'll go with that. I genuinely don't know what it's called, but yeah, I... I feel like like Axe is weird enough to actually be really successful on reality TV. And... I think you also pitched potentially something of like acts and how he processes in his mind, like an entire episode of him just 
processing whatever's going on is by him processing through the TV shows that he watches. Because how else does he understand humans? Did I make okay, I'm going to throw out a casting choice for Axe now. Okay. Danny Pudi. Okay, I have to look this up. I know, I think we've discussed him before. As an Axe? He's too old. Because we basically just described Abed from no, Community. I know, that is what I'm getting old. to. But if he's just doing a voice, I mean, oh, he's not actually... He's not actually an 11-year-old duck, either. I mean, I spent the entire time watching Community last year being like, hey, that's like a lot of people I know and X. Fair. By the way, I, I did look up Marco's mom. Okay. And I found the actress who plays Marco's mom, whose name is Allegra Fulton. But I noticed a credit in her list, and she is still acting. She is still active. Um, she just did eight episodes of a TV series called Moonshine, and before that was on Chapel Wait and some other stuff. But she did an episode of another recent Canadian series, Shit's Creek. Oh no, who was she in Shit's Creek? She was a character named Charlene on the episode Baby Sprinkle from, I think, season four. Okay. It is the one where Moira convinces David to throw a shower, a baby shower. Okay. I'd have to go rewatch it now. But I gotta say, like, she looks amazing. Like, I was yeah. here looking at it, and I was like, wow, she looks amazing. And then it's like, and she is 71, and it's like, I'm sorry, what? That woman's like 49 at the oldest? But no, apparently. <laughs> that is insane. Amazing. Anyways. She is scary enough, though. Like, this IMDb page, her eyes, she, like, I, I must not have watched by that point, for whatever reason, other than just, like, I had something on, going on that night and could never catch it. Um, yeah. What's more likely is that um, it, with so few TVs in the house and so many siblings, I very rarely got to watch what I wanted to watch, um, which is, I was going to say totally fine. It's not. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> uh, she would have been really great as Marco's mom. I hope they let her shine for sure. Same. Like. Just from this, she seems like a great casting choice. Yeah. It kind of looks like they did a little bit of the David for the last three. Uh, Ron Oliver did the last three episodes, uh, which is a name that is familiar, and I cannot remember why, but it'll hit me in a second. I think he and Alan were really good friends. I was going to say, I think he was the name Alan mentioned, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Animorphs decide they've earned a break and plan to go to the spring dance. Cassie tries to urge Jake to help her stop a cosmetics factory experiment with animals, but it ends up being a disaster. After the remaining Animorphs come to the rescue, Marco is caught on tape demorphing, which again, very 90s thing. Mm-hmm. Especially for a book series that conveniently never had this plot line. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I feel like Charmed was also doing theirs where uh, Prue dies at this point, too. Uh, mm. The boy who taped Marco Demorphine, Harold Nesbitt. That is a familiar name. Is about to reveal his finding for profit. Jake and Marco try to personally steal the tape, but are unsuccessful. So the group must find the tape and stop it from broadcasting. Meanwhile, Visitor 3 is using a TV executive morph to broadcast a new show that will make human infestation easier and acts as behaving strangely. That is a lot. That yeah. says nothing. Also, man, Harold Nesbitt is one of those names that feels like it's always a villainous name. <laughs> like, I have no idea why this name is ringing a bell. But it is. I don't know. I did a quick Google, and it only seems to come up in relation to the TV show, not the book series. That's so bizarre. Uh, the final episode... Tobias follows the trail of hawk images being left around town. I'm sorry, what? Trail of hawk images being left around town. All right, Tobias, whatever floats. Oh, I don't understand it, but I support it. Uh, <laughs> hawk images. It sounds like a video game side quest. Like the yes! Joker has placed these holograms of hawks yes! around town. It really does. Like You have to follow them. Especially, like, discussing Assassin's Creed. I'm like, I mean, I've done this side quest. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but he is shocked by what he finds. Meanwhile, when Marco notices a suspicious-looking construction worker hanging around school, I guess it's Tobias in human form and not necessarily in hawk form doing this, but it's still weird either way. Um, yeah. Let's see. Construction hanging around school. He investigates and discovers that friends and the rest of their classmates are in huge danger. Before he can tell anyone, however, Marco finds himself trapped unbeknownst to his friends who are now arriving at the dance. The episode and its predecessors are all of the same name and are narrated by Tobias. That also feels like a really big cliffhanger. Yeah, that that does. I did not realize it ended on a really big cliffhanger. Huh. You know, that honestly doesn't surprise me. I feel like that happened a lot with children's programming at the time. I guess. Like, we're going to end it on a cliffhanger so you bring us back. And they're like, haha, no we're not. Keep waiting for Brett Goldstein to, to get my message. <laughs> he has not. Well, I am sure, I am sure someday Brett Goldstein will respond. <laughs> if only in my dreams. That's okay. <laughs> As I am working on, hi, mom, if you're listening to this, please stop. I don't know why you would. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm working on a Roy Kent uh, cross stitch for my mother, so I would not be surprised if he pops up quite a bit. <laughs> Just saying. So are we ready for animal trivia? Sure. Give me that animal trivia. All right. This one actually comes 
from a theater colleague of mine who, it turns out, I learned recently, worked as an intern at the Atlanta Zoo for a while earlier in his career when he thought he might want to be a veterinarian and then learned, no, no, that involves too much poop. Okay. But learning this made me happy. Armadillos love belly scratches. Oh. And if they curl up on you, their their plates won't cut your fingers off, but it will be like slamming your finger in a car door. That is so just so be careful. sweet and so terrified, especially because, like, are they like dogs who are like, yes, you can give me unlimited belly scratches. You will never, ever, ever give me enough belly scratches. So this isn't a risk. Or are they like cats where, like, you have to figure out the perfect number of scratches or, um, yeah, something like the, impression the bloodbath I got, was I got like... happened. The impression I got was they'd basically be chill and let you scratch their belly for a while, but if anything startled them, they'd roll up. Uh, and that's when you needed to be careful. I see, I see. Get your hand out of the way quickly. Yeah. I see. Okay. That's so sweet. Thank you so much for that. A shockingly gentle and happy piece of animal trivia. I so appreciate you for that. Thank you. I'm going to go dream about armadillos now. <laughs> and no new reviews. So we can oh. just cut all of that. Well, I mean, no. No new reviews. Uh, it's cool. Uh, but I guess if anybody sends us questions, like, still don't hesitate to do that as you're listening to the stuff. And, like, if we get a bunch or whatever, we'll do a bonus episode somewhere. Yeah. All right. Uh... Shoutouts, things to promote, things to plug, oh, what you got. Okay, um, Tunnels Season 5. Go check it out. Go check out all of it. It's wonderful. Go do that. Um, the question I asked earlier is in relation to a short story that I'm hoping gets accepted. So fingers crossed that I can get that somewhere and make an Elemist reference in it. It would be hella wonderful. <laughs> um, I think that's all I really got at this point. Yeah. What about you? I mean, the usual panelology. Okay. Uh, I did guest on a couple of other certain POV network podcasts recently. Uh, I think by the time this episode is out, uh, either... The previous Friday or the next Friday, an episode of Fun and Games with Matt and Jeff will be out talking about Metroid. Sweet. Uh, so if you are generally a fan of space parasites, uh, maybe that's an episode for you. I guested on Real Movie Critic versus Cineguy to talk about the Eternals movie. That episode is already out. And on Men of Steel to talk about... Uh, Alan Moore's run on Miracle Man, and that episode will probably be, I think, a few weeks still. They're they're actually holding it to release after they do a bunch of episodes about Legion of Superheroes. That's fair. I think this is the most I have ever guested on other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm still popping in and out of uh, POV, certain POV um, shows. 
Um, I know they're going to do some stuff for Buffy soon uh, that I'm very excited about. I do have a, another past episode coming out uh, in a few months. Um, I feel like I've done something else. I know I will be on Panelology again at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I guess really quick, don't usually promote my own social media on here um, anymore, but I'm no longer on Facebook. So if you want to kind of know what I'm doing regarding Facebook, I do have a professional page for my writing stuff um, and do post when or will post when I um, guest on stuff. So that'll be facebook.com slash Meg Griffin, um, which is where all of my social media is, um, except for my TikTok. Whoever is Meg Griffin on TikTok is not me. Um, but it's Meg with two G's. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter and I stay pretty active on Instagram. So yeah, that's where you'll find me nowadays. I'm on Twitter. That's the only social media I do personally. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why like, I was debating uh, talking about your Christmas present. I was like, do I risk that Alex just decides today to turn on Instagram or do I still go with the close friend option that I know he is not in when I post this? I almost never open Instagram. Right, but it's the almost that keeps me <laughs> from he- or keeps me hesitating. So fair enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like we'll pop in and out as like uh, Chris, um, you know, chatting with him. Uh, as the new graphic novels come out. I feel like we haven't actually said on the recorded episode that for the time being, we're going on an indefinite hiatus and we'll just hop in with like bonus episodes and whatever. Yeah. I guess I I posted it on Twitter. and was like, that's all I have to do. Yay. Um, Yeah. Just uh, we really don't want to talk about the next 13 episodes of this TV show. So yeah. And more to the point, like, reacclimating to having a, you know, schedule yes. and commitments outside of quarantine has been, at least for me, wildly difficult, I have learned. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a little weird adjusting back to having a life and uh, wanting to do things that don't involve me sitting in a closet. So that makes a little bit of sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like... I'll still be running the Minds at Your Twitter, uh, which is what I've always been. And And I'll still be taunting Meg while she runs the Minds at Your Twitter, which is where I've always been. (laughs) And uh, so we'll be keeping up with updates and stuff like that. And like, as we, you know, if anything more comes to light movie TV show wise, like we'll be back. We'll be keeping up with it. But uh, there's just not. When When everything looks its bleakest. Turn here and you'll find us. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me happy or a little nauseated. Probably both. <laughs> then I did my job. Fair. That is bravo. Um, also, if anybody knows of any good Animorphs cross-stitch patterns. Woohoo! Yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh... I don't have a line for this episode. Oh, no. That's okay. Do what? I said, that's okay. 
I had forgotten that that was a thing I had been doing. <laughs> uh, pretend I said that thing about Jake threatening to pee on Marco here. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> We'd like to thank Red Spinks for our show art. You can check out more of his work by supporting his Patreon or visiting Chaos Flight on Tumblr. If you're interested in getting some cool art, email Red at cmspinks95 at gmail.com. Peep our social meets at Minds at York on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to send us questions, comments, or love letters, you can email us at mindsatyerk at gmail.com. Like Meg said, we get enough of those. Maybe we'll do the random mailbag episode here and there. Uh, Our website is mindsatyerk.com. You spell Yerk Y-E-E-R-K. If you like us and want to help us out, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That maybe seems like a little late for that now, but hey, we'd appreciate it anyway. Uh, We're available on your podcatcher of choice. Hopefully you figured that out by now. Uh, but if you can't find us there, let us know. Thank you all for coming on this journey with us. It's been a lot of fun to remember these books. And yeah. to see how much of it has both infiltrated media and not. Like, goddamn, why is this show not more of a trope at this point? Book. Because people Book. lack taste. Amen. Let's end on that. My name was Alex. I'm Megan. Y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs>